the songs were perfect. And I thought of another one when I was sitting back there. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. thing to trust in him but a relatively difficult one sometimes I think we're going to talk about that I hope that by the time we're done you'll be a little encouraged and that the Holy Spirit will provide a greater capacity to trust in God and a little less capacity to trust in yourself so that'll be the goal, and we'll see if we'll, we'll get there, okay? So the fall of man, temptation in the garden. The, the serpent came. What did, what did he ask Eve? Does anyone know? Did God really say? What was he doing? Twisting. Twisting, tempting? Doubt. Doubt. What did they have in God before? Trust. Trust. And then they lost their trust after that. And then what was it? The, the temptation for if you eat this fruit, you will be, well, you'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll be like God. The temptation was, was twofold. It was doubt God, trust yourself. Doubt God and trust, and trust yourself. So if we, st- if we start with that paradigm and then we start looking at Christ's work on the cross, what he was reestablishing was trust in God and no longer a humanity that was living on its, on its own, by its own means, living in its own self-dependent way that was ultimately destroying them. Okay? Does that make sense? So, so, so faith, trust is, is faith. I think sometimes we mix up those words oftentimes and we put connotations on them that aren't there in Scripture. Um, in the Old Testament, it's often translated trust. And in, in the New Testament, obviously, it's a different language. Um, but, but we translate it faith. And, but I think that trust can just be, be used just as well um, in those passages. Abraham um, trusted God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And ultimately, that faith isn't necessarily an unction of the will that we have confidence on our own prerogative, but it's reliance on his faithfulness, okay? It's reliance on his power, on his ability, on his capability, and on his love and his goodness. Does that make sense? So, so it's, it's not, it, it is like, I mean, faith is active. Trust, trust is active in the sense that, have you ever done like a trust fall? It's like, oh, I trust you, but I'm not going to like do anything. Well, no, that's just not possible. You know, if you, 
if you trust there is a physical manifestation of it, you're going to react. You're going to live in that trust. There's going to be a whole lot of peace, a whole lot of joy, a lot of rest um, in, in trusting God. Um, you'll be able to take risks because you, you trust him. And so Jesus is rebuilding that trust with God. And yet a lot of us still are in a place of self-dependence, of self-trust and not trusting in God. And, and God really wants to start reworking that. And, and, and even to the extent when we talk about our salvation. Does anyone wonder if they're saved? Get worried about their salvation? Question who's in, who's out? Am I in, am I out? Often, oftentimes it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. You, you know, we say, we look at my experience and I'm like, man, I'm struggling so much with sin, I must not be saved. And now I need to do something on my own prerogative to start working this thing out. And, and I want to suggest that that is self-dependence and is actually polar opposite to what the gospel actually is. But we're going to start working that through. There's this language in, throughout the scriptures, throughout, um, you know, Jesus is talking about what Paul talks about. Does anyone know what, well, it kind of speaks for itself, Christocentric is? Christ at the center. And it's a theological term where we, where we say the way that we framework how we view God, like everything is, is, is defined and is understood at Christ at the center of it. I loved what, um, what did you say earlier, Paul? Um, just about your life. Oh, yeah, you said, do you have a good day? Well, Jesus is still on the throne. So, yeah, I had a good day. That is a Christocentric way of living. Okay, now you can live based on other stuff things and other circumstances and other ideas, but it's not going to work out very well for you. And, and so I would suggest that even our, our, our understanding um, and of, of theology, understanding of God, who he is, how he works, how he relates to us, um, ought to be more Christocentric than it oftentimes is. Okay, so we're going to take a look at scripture to see the Christocentric approach, how much emphasis there is on the person of Jesus and what that means for us. All right. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 1. This is amazing scripture. For those of us who, who struggle with, oh, have I, have I done it well? Have I repented enough? Did I choose God well enough? Did I have a, a good enough conversion experience? Um, this, this is going to be paradoxical to, to the way that we think about this. Ephesians 1. Salvation. This is going to be good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who blessed us? God, God did. Even as he chose us in him before... Oops, I printed this wrong. I'm going to go to my online Bible. My electronic Bible. I believe it. <laughs> be the center. Be everything. That was perfect. All right, we'll try this again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, whatever that means. Even as he chose us, 
Who chose us? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he, he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You get in the picture? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Okay, on a simple level, we complicate faith and we complicate trust. Faith is trust in what he did. That's it. That's it. And that's, and that's really simple. It's not, it's, it's rest. You just, wow. It's, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. It is, it is merely just the recognition of reality, of who he is and what he's done. We say, yes, that's right. That's faith. It is, it is peace, it is rest, it is joy, it is goodness in all of its glory. Amen? So, so that passage is all about the, God's choice for us, his decision for us. It's about his prerogative, his will. Um, it, so we get, we get nervous about our standing with God. We get nervous about our responsibility and salvation. Um, you know, did I respond enough? Did I do this enough? Did I choose him well enough? And, and this is like, no, you're looking at it all wrong. You got it wrong from the get-go. It's his choice and his goodness. Even Paul, okay, when he um, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was running around killing Christians, okay? He probably had a worse past than most of you do before you knew what Jesus did for you. And, uh, I mean, he was killing Christians. He hated it. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets him. He's later, he's talking in, Galati in Galatians. He's talking about that time. And, look, and let's look to see what, what he says. It's fascinating. If I can find it. It's in Galatians. So he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born... Where is this, Dan? Yeah, Galatians 1, 16, 15 or 16. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me. Okay, this is, this is different than a lot of the ways that we, we talk about it. But he didn't say he was converted. He said it was a calling, that, that God was pleased to reveal his son in him. Okay, we're going we're gonna, to um, unravel this a little bit and kind of shed some light on this so we can enter into that. Okay, I don't know if that makes any sense. So we have a misconception when we think about God's choosing because oftentimes we're, we're wired into our brains that God chooses me over this person or the church over the rest of the world and he chooses some and not others and, um, and sometimes we think that way. And God is in the choosing business. He is in the electing business and he's in the predestination business. 
There's a lot of scripture about that. He chose Adam, right, to be a, a representative of all mankind who did one act, you know, he made an action and then we all suffered from it. He chose Noah and his family to repopulate the earth. He chose Abram to become Abraham and to be the, the father of Israel. He chose Isaac over Ishmael, right? He chose Jacob over Esau. And then he chooses Israel over the other nations. But this is sometimes where we get it wrong. God doesn't, God doesn't choose those people, excuse me, in opposition of other people. He doesn't choose them above and apart. He chooses them for That's right. everyone else. Okay, he chooses Israel for all the other nations. Okay, we have to, when we capture his heart, it's going to bring a lot of freedom in this. So, so God keeps narrowing down, keeps narrowing down, keeps choosing, 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 choosing until he comes down to one man, one person, Jesus. The one true Israelite, the one who could be righteous, and he says he's of the same type of Adam. What does that mean? Or Adam is the same type of the one to come which is Jesus, because he's a representation of all mankind. He's a representation of all mankind. It's a choice for us, not against us. Although it's set apart from everyone else, it's ultimately for everyone else. Okay? So see if, see if you can get this. this. This always shocks me. It's one thing if Jesus died for you and me. It's another thing if he died as you and me. It's another thing completely if he died as mankind. If he died as mankind. 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died, therefore all have died. Therefore all have died. Jesus was born, we, we, we look at Jesus, Jesus is, is two things to us. He's our example, right, that we can pattern our lives at. He's a, he's a great example, but he's also our substitute, okay? He's also our substitute, and that's what we're, that's what we're looking at today, and that's what I want to flush out some more. He was, he was born, if he's a representation of all mankind, just as um, Adam was, and we're going to get into the, the scripture where it talks about that. But that if, he, if he's a representation of all mankind, Jesus was born, God coming in to the flesh, God incarnate, he reunites heaven and earth. Jesus was born as you, he lived as you, he was tempted as you, he died as you, he was resurrected as you, and he ascended as you. This language, this, you know, it's like I'm living completely vicariously through Jesus and there's tons of scripture that talks about this, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live for the glory of the Son of God. It says, those who believe have crucified the flesh along with his passions and desires. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the union between heaven and earth. We get, we, oftentimes we get so caught up in especially in charismatic circles but like oh there's open heavens over here or there's open heaven Jesus is open heavens <laughs> you know he 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 tore his his tore his flesh and the veil was torn and he released you know everything every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places over you just because of the one man Jesus the one mediator between man and God and and we need to become more Christ Christocentric 
about this, okay? Salvation then is, is, is more, it's, it's above, it's more than just a point in time. It's more than just the moment you receive, you know, you, you get saved or, or however we talk about, I don't even know how to framework that anymore. But salvation is a person and his, and his name is Jesus. He's called and he's chosen you through his death and resurrection. Okay, it was all on his priority because he's like, you guys got nothing. You can't do it. You're scrounging around trying to work your way into heaven and trying to, to please me. He's like, well, yeah. He's like, if you want to come to heaven, then be perfect. I mean, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I'll, I'll give you the, the answer, but you're not going to do it. So he's like, well, I'll step in and I'll do it for you. And I'll do, I'll do it for you. I'll do it as you. And all of a sudden, Jesus becomes our expression to the Father. He becomes our connection to the Father. And we start living completely vicariously. And I know that probably doesn't make any practical sense whatsoever. But that's okay. We'll get there eventually. Sounds great, Dan. Okay. So it says, I don't even know where this is. But by his will, he has become to us righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. That's pretty crazy. It's hard for us to think in our, in our Western mindsets. So the scripture where this is hit a lot is in Romans 5, okay, where Jesus is a representation of all mankind. Um, and it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world. Oh, sorry, I'll give you a chance to get there. Romans 5, starting in verse 12. This is good news. We're going to break away every self-dependent thought that you've ever had on salvation. That's really the only reason why we question it, is because you, th you think you had some role to play. You think you had some role to play, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm really messing up on my, my whole response gig. And, 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 but really, Jesus is like, I did it already. It's like, I want you to, to rest and trust and just believe in the fact that it's been done for you. So there's this universal ramification for what Jesus did on the cross, universal atonement in a lot of ways. So it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all men sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law as given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Here it is, who was a type of the one to come. Why is he a type? It affected all mankind. Adam's sin affected, infected, all mankind. Okay, we're pretty good with that one, right? Most of the time, we're, we're right on board with that. We, we get that original sin. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded of many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Okay? For the judgment following one trespass brought, what? Condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought? Justification. For if, because of one trespass, death reigned through that one man much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So who is justified? Next verse. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification for all men. Romans 11.32 for God 
consigned all to disobedience so that he could have mercy on a couple. <laughs> so that he could have mercy on all the goody-goody two-shoes. So that he could have mercy on all. Okay, we got we to gotta get this. The person of Jesus is salvation. What he did is salvation. The fact that he was incarnate into the world, that God decided to come into the world, is salvation itself. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. John three seventeen. He's the lamb who took away the sins of a few. Just the good. Just, the good. Just those who realize it. Just those who, who think that they confessed enough. No, he took away the sins of the world. It's not dependent on man's action. It's not dependent on man's response. God decided, God chose, God predestined, God picked, and God delivered. And he worked it on behalf of all humanity as humanity. That's, that's the good news. So he did what we could not do. The disciples are all confused about this the whole time, and we're all confused about it the whole time. And they, and they come before Jesus as he's like, absolutely messing with people's minds about how they should be saved and stuff. And they're like, well, then who can be saved? Jesus says, oh, you know, what's impossible with man is possible with God. What's impossible with man is possible with God. He kept pointing to himself. He, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To, Z- to Zacchaeus, he walks. He's in the house. Today, salvation has come to this house. Well, who was in his house? Jesus was in his house. You know, he is salvation. We, we look at Jesus and we look at the way that he treats, you know, the world and all of mankind. He's hanging on the cross. Everyone's killing him. What does he, what does he say? Forgive them. For they do, not do, they do not know what they do. Forgive them. He says in, in John 12, 47, If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The good news is about our inclusion, not our exclusion. The good news is about God's choice for us, not our choice for him. In one sense, okay, if we seek him with our whole heart, you will find him. You will find me, Jeremiah 29, 13. But in a truer sense, I have been found by those who did not seek me. And I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Romans 10.20. Because who, who, who was standing with Jesus at the end? No one. He was completely rejected, completely left alone, completely blasphemed. And, and he's like, yeah, I know, but this is what I came to do from the first place. I didn't have any hope in humanity. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had to come. And, and it's all about this person and this, this, this good news and this person of Jesus um, you know, we get so caught up in thinking about our faith and our, you know, actions of faith and, and all these things. Again, I, I don't know if I'm doing it very well, but I, but I want to paint a picture of how much God has already accomplished regardless of our, res- even our response to it in a lot of ways. There is a response, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But regardless of our response to it so that we can actually step boldly with God to acknowledge what he's done apart from ourselves so that we don't live in such this like crazy scared I'm so afraid if I'm saved or if I'm walking with the Lord or if my faith is strong enough because scripture says that you didn't originate your faith and you don't even build it where does it come from who's the author and the perfecter and the finisher of your faith right where does faith come from 1 Corinthians 
10? Yeah. 11, 11, 10? For faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing of the word. The gospel provides faith. It doesn't demand it out of you. It's not like respond to the gospel. No, Jesus died for you and you are included in the beloved and he loves you and he wants to be with you and he's forgiven all your sins and he just wants to, to hang out with you and be in union with you and be with you forever. And you start talking to people like that and they're like, whoa, God did that for me? Wow, it changes everything. The, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for all of mankind, all of a sudden, the way that we see the world starts to change. The way that we see the world starts to change because Jesus took away all of the sins of the world. He, he put them into his mortal body and they were crucified on the tree. We might not know it. We not, might not believe it. Half of us don't believe it. And, and we are struggling with it all of the time, but it's true regardless. And we're, we're coming to terms with this reality of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. Second Corinthians 5, 18, 19, another verse about his ability and his capability. All this is from you. No, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, what is the ministry of reconciliation? In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So be reconciled because you are. There's nowhere you can run from his presence. Even in Sheol, you are there. You might as well accept reality because it's the dumbest thing in the world to reject it because it's just, it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not even true. And, and, but we believe those lies all the time, and we don't act as if God is here, and we don't act as if we're in because he said so. And we run around in fear, and we run around you know, forgetting and, and complaining. And we can forget. You can forget your salvation. You can ignore your salvation. And it seems like in Scripture you can ultimately re reject it. But from God's standpoint, from God's perspective, and in Revelation we see that the gates of heaven are always open. The gates of heaven are always open. And that's, that's the message, the reconciliation that he wants to bring um, to the world. So, our choice, or our response. Again, so if the fall was about self-dependence, Jesus is, recon he reconciled all of that. Why? Because he did something that was completely set apart from us. So when we come with our self-dependent ways of living and, and, and wanting to, to engage him and be identified in the world or with him or with other people, Jesus is like, well, there's no, there's no grounding for that anymore. You, can, you have no traction because I, it's already done. That's right. He's like, so so you're, you're running around on this hamster wheel trying to accomplish something that's already been accomplished. And sure, you can run on the eternal hamster wheel of your own doom and gloom, but, but you don't need to. Jesus is like, I, I've finished it. Even from the foundations of the world, it's been done. He's like, you can rest. He's like, you can you know, take, a, take a break and just have some trust in me, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convince you of it. He wants to convince us of it so badly. And so our response to salvation, the, the experience of, of regeneration that we have is this acknowledgement, it's this entering into this reality of what Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago on the tree. It's what he has done. And, and so we can just be, the, be this light and this shining light of being like, 
this is what God has done. I'm a first fruit of the new creation because I see what he accomplished. I see what he's done. I believe in him. I believe that, that I've been forgiven, that I've been reconciled, that I have eternity to look forward to from God. And so do you. And I can say that boldly. I can say that with 100% certainty because that's what Jesus paid for, that you have a guarantee of salvation. And I don't need to mandate your response. Now, I really want you to believe that. I really do. There's a lot of confusion. You know, I mean, the obvious response is like, well, is everyone going to, to heaven? And I'm not a universalist. Um, and so I don't think that's the case. But I think that it's shrouded in mystery. And, and we don't. It's supposed to be in mystery in a lot of ways. But I, but I do know that from God's perspective, God's standpoint, he wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. Okay, he included everyone in the Son. He included everyone in the death and resurrection. He wasn't partial. He doesn't show favoritism. So a little bit more about our, our choice, our response. So you guys are saved. I don't know if you know that. I don't believe it all the time. You probably don't either. Otherwise, I'd probably just be floating on cloud nine like all day long, right? Because we would go through our day. People like, how's your day? It was great. <laughs> I'm so Christocentric. I know I have eternity with God the Father, and he's working everything good on my behalf, and he's the author and perfecter of my faith. But, but because we're kind of self-dependent and we're like growing out of this thing, you know, we, we're, we're not that way. And, and so there's this, this growth um, that sometimes, again, we we end up making it a much more difficult process than we need to. Okay, and we're gonna, I wanna look at two words, repentance and confession. All right, is anyone afraid of those? Repentance or confession? Did I confess enough? Oh, did my repentance go deep enough? What does repentance mean? To turn, a changed mind. Okay, in, in one sense, we're, we're, we're able to to, to, you know, in our minds, in our language, in our actions, start choosing different things. Okay, but when it comes to, like, a renewed mind, that's not necessarily something we can choose. Now, now we, we can participate and say, yes, God, like, I want you to do it, but it's, but it's actually a renewed mind is a result of trust being built in us, where all of a sudden we're just like, oh, man, like, I believe, <laughs> you know, like I see things differently. I'm seeing things from a heavenly perspective that I didn't before, that I didn't before. And confession, what is confession? Exposing lies, exposing, exposing lies, exposing sin. I want to look at John 3. This is going to kind of wrap it around here. So, such a well-known part of past, part of scripture. John 3:16. We'll start there. For God so loved the church. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world in order that the church might be saved through him, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Okay, normally when we think about that, 
even whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, and it, you know, we kind of just put it as this, this, this noun. Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus, well, what does that mean? I mean, we have such a wide scope, you know, of what that, of what that means. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Now, now in one sense, there's, right, it's, it's trust, but trust in, in what? Why, if I believe in Jesus, am I not condemned? Why? Why am I not condemned? Why, why will not perish but have eternal life? Is, it, is there a transaction that happens when I'm like, oh, I believe. Okay, now I've given eternal life. I don't, I struggle with that. But I'd say what we, what we do, whoever believes in him is not condemned because you realize he's, he did, he's not condemning you. Whoever believes in him, Jesus says, I came to save the world, not to condemn the world. I don't hold your transgressions against you. I dealt with that, and I took care of that so you could be with me. Those of us who believe in him are like, oh, That's right. I'm not condemned. That's, right. That's good news. Those who do not believe, well, they're condemned already because they're, they're still probably living in this perpetual state of self-dependence and, and relating with God and other people based on their performance, and they don't know the good news. They, they might not know that of their, their inclusion and what Jesus did on their behalf. So it says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. That doesn't make faith or belief like the one, like the, the one transaction that you need to make to gain salvation, but it's, it's your, your access into it in the sense that you know that it's there. That, that it's just the simple trust and the acknowledgement of what Jesus has done for you and in you. That there's a lot of rest in that. There's a lot of peace in that. It's not trust in your willpower to agree about it or your willpower to, to believe that it's true because most of you are realizing and you're like, I don't believe this very well. And, and you start looking at the fruit you're producing or the, the holiness that you're, you're producing and you're like, man, I'm just sucking at this whole Christian thing. Like my, my choice for salvation, my, my salvation is on rocky ground. No, you're just thinking your salvation is something other than it's not. There's no rocky ground about it. And um, his next, so let's keep looking. And this is the judgment. Okay, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Who's ever done something evil? For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So, so I've been there i've been there many 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 times and you have too maybe you're there right now and you've got some dirt in the closet that you don't want to bring out you're so afraid of it being exposed you're so afraid of letting someone know the thoughts you've had the things you've done i want to tell you something it's taken care of god loves you and he forgives you and but in order for for you to to even comprehend that you might have to bring it out in the light so let's see what the next thing is. For everyone who does wicked things hates light and does not come to light lest his works should be exposed. Why? Because you're so afraid that you're going to receive judgment. You're so afraid that you're going to be condemned. You're so afraid that those things are going to be taken and shoved right back in your face and be like, you dirty you know, person, you who did all these bad things, you know, what a horrible person you are. And that's our fear. It's so like, I don't want to look bad in front of man and I don't want to look bad in front of God. So I'm not bringing those, th- those things up. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God or have been wrought, already wrought in God. What do you do when you confess and you bring out those sins? 
what do you realize? Oh, yeah, God's forgiven me. I was so bottled up. I was so afraid. I was so self-dependent. I was so af- af- scared of condemnation. And, and, and you, you bring them out and you realize reality. You realize the truth that God's like, I took care of that. I took all that sin apart. That's not an issue for me. And I want, and I want to tell you that. And, and all of a sudden, that goodness and that love and that, that forgiveness absolutely transforms us. And, and we believe in Jesus, and we're like, whew, all right, that's awesome. So confession isn't the price tag for your salvation, okay? It's not, it's not a, a divine transaction. Now, it opens you up to believe it, and, and you might have to bring some stuff out to, to acknowledge the truth because you're so, you're so convinced that it's not true. You're so convinced that you're going to receive judgment. You're so convinced that your actions dictate your stance before God that, yes, confess, do it already. You're, you're standing on a worthless pile of garbage. So you might as well just bring it up. And you're going to receive such light, such goodness, such wonder. So do that. Please. It's just for you. It's a good thing. And then we continually do it. It's not like, oh, yeah, now that I have Jesus, I don't need to confess anymore. Well, if you do something wrong and then you cling to it, well, you're going right back into self-dependence. You're just jumping right back on the box. It's not, you know, it says in, in 1 John, it says, if you sin, we have an advocate. Now, it's interesting. It says if. That's a whole other talk. Um, but, but it says, if you sin, we have an advocate in, in Christ Jesus. Confess your sins one to another in James, and you will be healed. Okay, so it's still important. We live in this dependent reality, this trusting reality before God, where we claim nothing is coming from ourselves. That, that we have an adequacy, but it's not, it's not from us. And we start living in trust. We start living in dependence. And that trust starts producing in us things that we couldn't produce on our own initiative. That faith, that dependence on God in every waking moment of the day, we start learning to acknowledge him in all our ways, and he'll make our path straight. We start learning by prayer and petition to make our requests known before God. We start to, to pray continually and rejoice you know, at all times to encourage one another as long as it is today. We start living in, in harmony together, in openness, you know, all the time dependent on this one man, you know, Jesus, because he says in one fell move that he did something that was completely set apart from you and you're saved and that will set you free bless this guitar so I want to read one more passage can you can you and else think of any scripture that talks about like God's ability he who Began a good work in you. Sing that in a little bit. He is faithful to complete it. He is faithful to complete it. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He is. 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 Okay? It's he's able. Oh, I love this. I love this so much. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that works in and through you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Two works in the Greek, different words, katergatsumai, energio. First one, narrow down, come to a conclusion of. Narrow down, come to a conclusion of your salvation. Come to a conclusion. What are you going to realize? It had nothing to do with you. You might experience a little fear and trembling. Whoa, 
maybe even some self-distrust. You're going you're gonna to not trust yourself anymore. And, and before, it is God, energio, who brings it from one stage to another. It is God who works it in and through you. And then he gives you the desire and the ability to carry out his good pleasure. When we're going out to, to witness or you want to be used by God, you don't need to buck it up. You, you have to step out and be obedient, but you need to recognize that that's still a small voice. You go out and be like, God, you do something. I, like, I, I don't know, like, what to do anymore. There's so many times where I, like, try to think of a word to give to someone, and I'm like, oh, I need to bust out a prophetic word. Well, we go break into a circle. I'm like, well, God, if you want to give me something, like, I have no clue sometimes what it's like to hear God. So I'm just like, okay, God, like, I got nothing. I have, I, I have no confidence in myself. So if you just want to, like, really impress on me something, like, I guess I'll share it because I got nothing to lose. And you'll be surprised probably, and I'll be surprised when I'm bold enough, and you'll be surprised like how often God is faithful. But we don't believe it. And so, you know, we live in this, he's so faithful, and he's so good, and he's so loving, and he's going to prove it over and over and over and over and over again. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Be all the more diligent. Now, we can take that in two ways. Be like, oh, I'm, uh, did he choose me? Did he choose me? No. He chose you. Now convince yourself. Right. He chose you. Convince yourself and convince other people. He chose you. Now make certain about it because there's no sense in living in this state of confusion and worry and fear and, and, and condemnation anymore. So make certain about it. Now it also talks about in that passage what you can do. It says supply with your faith. I'd have to look it up. Look it up later. It says, it's such a great passage. 2 Peter 1, he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness by his great magnificent promises. What he's done, what he's done, what he's done. And then he's like, you know, if you put some of these together, it'll be great. And, and it says, so when, you, when you're doing these things, he's like, you're going to be convinced of your inclusion. You're going to be convinced of your, your sonship. You're going to be convinced of who Christ is in you. And it says, and if you practice these things, you will never stumble. It says, these who lack these things are, bl- are blind and short-sighted, having forgotten their purification from their former sins. You can forget it. You can forget you're forgiven. You can forget you're included. You can forget you're accepted. And you can get lost in the self-deprecating, self-centered confusion of life. And we need to become Christocentric. We need to start seeing him in everything. He needs to define our life. He needs to define our reality. Let us, therefore, strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Hebrews 4, read that sometime. Okay, last passage, Colossians 1, 15 and 20. Turn to it quick. This is crazy. We won't understand any of it, but it'll blow our minds because it talks about how awesome God is and how amazing Christ is and what is all he's capable of doing. Colossians 1, 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Yep, those annoying co-workers. 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You hold together in him. Our unbelievers next door hold together in him. The devil holds together in him. There's, there's, there's nothing apart from him in everything. He holds all things together. Paul is, is talking to pagans in Athens. He says, in him we live, move, and have our being, just as your own poets say. You can't escape him. He's everywhere. How are you going to run away from God? He's, he's in all and through all. When God made creation, he didn't like make creation apart from himself. It's, he's in all and through all. He is the head of the body, the church. Who's the church? Those who have awakened to this reality. Those of us who know. Those of us who see. Those of us who recognize our salvation. We're a light, shining, bright, first fruits of new creation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Unbelief is ridiculous. It, we make concession for it. We compromise. We expect it. It is paradoxical it is irrational it makes no sense whatsoever but because it's so common we've decided that we should just make it common but it, it's it's a lie existence it's a rejection of reality it's running away from the very god that's in the room that's good so be be reconciled to god you live and move with him anyway he's right here he's he's right now there's nowhere you can flee from his presence even in sheol he is there and I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he will not let you fall out of the palm of his hand. His ability, his trust, not you. That's right. Woo! Put your hand on your neighbor. Say, you're saved and it's not your fault. You're righteous and it's not your fault. You have the Holy Spirit and it's not your fault. You're a child of God and it's not your fault. Amen. Can we sing that song? Sing it to your neighbor. Yeah, no good.
same verse second peter one that you're all going to read later at the end peter says and i will stir you up by way of reminder over and over again who needs to be convinced every day who needs to remember every day what christ has done who christ is and who he is in you so what we're going to do you're going to turn to the people next to you and you're going to convince each other you're going to remind each other you're going to tell each other you're going to boast in Christ Jesus and tell, tell each other who he is in you, what you see in them, and, and we'll grow in our trust yeah. and that rest and that confidence in his ability. Amen? Amen? So go ahead and turn right now. It might be awkward to talk like that to someone, but just start telling them how awesome they are, how Jesus is in them.